Welcome, everybody. This, again, is the U.S. Grace Force podcast. We're happy to have you with us this week. Got a fantastic guest. First time on the U.S. Grace Force podcast, Father Dwight Longenecker. We're going to introduce him in just a moment. Again, of course, as always, we turn everything over to prayer. Father Heilman, my good friend, I leave it to you. Sure. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Hallman. And again, before we introduce our wonderful guest tonight, I want to thank everybody who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast again, again, and again. We can't thank you enough, especially again in the times that we are in. As I say every week, things are getting more challenging as we just day by day move forward. And so your help, your support, your prayers, your financial contributions to the Patreon program are phenomenal and really keep us going. So we thank you very much for that. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity to, again, get that message out as wide and far as we possibly can. As our Lord tells us, the Great Commission to go out to the ends of the earth, baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to follow the commandments that he's given us. And so that's what we're trying to do with the Grace Force podcast. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, click the link below in the description. And again, we thank you very much. You are in our daily prayers. Also, don't forget to go out to the U.S. Grace Force gear page and get yourself an amazing T-shirt or hoodie or sweatshirt or whatever the season permits. I say that as we're moving into summer now, uh, now that we're in June at the release of this episode. I personally am wearing the I Kneel for God Alone t-shirt here, but there are many other great designs out there that help support our effort, and it also sends a great message to those who see you in this, this uh, U.S. Grace Force gear. Father Heilman, this is a guest we have been just, we've talked about in the past, having him on, excited to have him on. This is a great opportunity, and I want to say hello to Father Dwight Longenecker and Father Heilman, I will turn this over to you to introduce our guest tonight. Yeah, so Doug, you and I both, but I think all of our uh, listeners have uh, read Father Longnecker for years. Uh, every time something pops up on social media, I'm just like, oh, what's he going to say now? <laughs> it's awesome. And, uh, but, but you have such a great gift, Father, of, uh, of really getting to the heart of the matter. And uh, I really appreciate that about yeah. you. And, uh, and so... Again, we're so grateful, and boy, we need to get to the heart of the matter right now. Confronting the Heart of Darkness is is uh, the title of this show, and that's actually the subtitle of your book, uh, uh, which is, um, oh, what's, uh, it's... Immortal Combat. Immortal Combat, that's it. I had a little blank going on there, a little Joe Biden going on there. Uh, <laughs> Immortal Combat. And also, too... You've got a course coming up. I, I, I'm going to be doing it, but we're going to get into that in a little bit too. Uh, but this book is is fantastic. And and also too, um, particularly, I was so grateful for your take on what you called the Tale of Two Jameses. So we'll get into that as well. But Father, you want to maybe flesh out your, you're a priest in uh, South Carolina. And, the uh, the and Diocese of Charleston, yes. Diocese of Charleston, okay. And... Uh, you know, want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I was brought up in an evangelical home in Pennsylvania. And uh, right. after high school, went to Bob Jones University in South Carolina, which is, of course, a very fundamentalist anti-Catholic school. And while I was there, I met um, a Catholic laywoman who was uh, lived her faith in a very simple and a very, a very winning way. 
uh, I also became an Anglican while I was there and um, uh, was very intrigued by England and, and all things English and felt the call to the priesthood but in, the, in the Anglican church in England. So I got accepted to go and study theology over there, went over to England, stayed there for 25 years, became an Anglican priest, uh, married an English woman, um, and started a family, and then was called to enter the Catholic church in 1995. So we left all of that, um, took this step to come into the Catholic church, uh, and then another 10 years later, um, we had the call to return to the United States, to Greenville, South Carolina, and the Bishop of Charleston applied to Rome for a dispensation from the vow of celibacy through what's called the pastoral provision, which allowed me to be ordained as a Catholic priest, even though I have a wife and kids. So I'm one of very few of those pastoral provision priests um, uh, in the Catholic Church. Fascinating. Mm. What was it in 1995 that, that brought you into the Roman Catholic Church? Well, there, I had been, since meeting this uh, Catholic woman at college, I had been on a progress towards the Catholic Church within the Anglican Church for a long time, becoming more and more Catholic as I, as I developed in my spiritual journey. But it was the um, Anglican Church of England's decision to ordain women as priests, which was the thing which kind of pushed me over the edge. Um, and very simply, it wasn't really just the issue of women being ordained to the priesthood, but it was underneath that was the question of authority. Um, who had the authority to make this decision? And um, I didn't believe that the Anglican Church had the authority to make such a huge change in the tradition of the church for the last 2,000 years. Right. But the Catholic Church spoke with a deeper authority and a more far-reaching authority. And uh, it was that question, the authority question, which then really brought me to the Catholic Church. Interesting. Interesting. So, Father, um, we're going through a lot right now. Uh, as you know, the, the virus, the pandemic that, that we've been dealing with, and I, I, I think you, you, you believe, too, that a certain, a certain amount of that was politicized and, and there, there seems to be this, um, this insurgency, right. Of evil that's going on all around us. And people are taking a different uh, way of trying to confront this. And uh, we wanted to have you on this show today because we want to get your take on how, how can we confront this? And again, this, this draws, I think from your book, Immortal Combat and, and this upcoming, um, course that you're going to be offer offering and by the way if we can put that up right now and also the link to that um i'm i'm definitely signing up i'm i you alerted oh. me that to uh to this today and if people you go to that website and you look at what he's going to be hitting on this course it's amazing and and uh i can't wait for it so please but it, maybe if you want to get a take on what what you think is well, to answer your question, you know, St. Paul says we do not uh, struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and high places. That's going to be and, on my funeral card, that yeah. passage. <laughs> and and um, therefore, beneath all of the, the news headlines, beneath all of the stuff that we see that's going on in the world, which is so disturbing and so unsettling, right. of course, there is a deeper battle going on for the yes. heart of humanity and for the um, and for the uh, whole of planet Earth. And this battle has been going on since, well, the Garden of Eden, since the battle right. Tower of Babel. Um, and every now and again, it surges forward. And of course, the great enemy of this worldly power, which might be called the power of the Antichrist, is is the is the truth of the and the, and the power of the Catholic Church, yes. our Lord's Church on Earth. The and great threat. Yeah. It has always been the great threat, because yeah. um, 
the powers of this world understand that uh, the human beings who who have an allegiance to something greater than this world will be the um, their real enemy. So basically, if you're trying to set up um, a one world sort of authority, one world government, which is only concerned with this world and the material facts of this world, the people who will be your main enemy were the ones who believe and live for something greater than that. Wow. Um, and they've always understood that, that, that the true believers are their true enemy. And so this will continue into the present day. Wow. Well put. Father, as you see things unfolding, and again, just so people are aware, how long have you you've been a Catholic priest then? Uh, we returned to the uh, United States in 2006. Okay. okay, so I've just been a Catholic priest now for 15 years. 15 years. So yeah. as you've seen things unfold, both secular and in within the church in the last 15 years yes. or so, kind of what's your take? What's your your position, your angle as it's unfolded? Because it's it's very disheartening you know, to watch things, especially seem to speed up in it recent is, years. But on the other hand, one of the um, podcasts, which is available on my website, which is DwightLongenecker.com, is... Uh, a 23-part series of church Catholic church history, mm -hmm. basically um, one episode, 45-minute episode for each century, plus a few extras in the centuries which, where so much happened, like the 16th century. Um, right. And the reason I made this podcast was so that ordinary um, Catholics in America could actually see the history of the church and say, you know what, these things we're going through right now, these crises we're facing right now, have really been around... Um, in one way or another over the last 2000 years, they, they've taken different forms. They've had different symptoms. They've had different characters and different players in the great drama, but it has been going on for that long. And in a way um, this should make us more alert and more um, attuned to what's happening. On the other hand, we should also take a step back, take a deep breath and say, this is actually um, not the new normal. This is the old normal. This is actually the way, life is as a christian and our lord said it himself um when he sent the apostles out he said they're going to hate you as they've hated me they're going to try to kill you like they tried to kill me they're going to take you drag you out of the synagogues they're going to put you in jail so um in fact you should be worried when all men speak well of you mm -hmm. um so this is part of what it means to be a follower of our lord jesus christ and in a way we're alarmed and we're upset but on the other hand, we should also step back and say, well, actually, this is this is really what we should expect. Yeah, you know, that's funny. Along those lines, Father Howman and I have talked about this a bit too in past episodes, that the cancel culture, the term now, actually our Lord himself dealt with. So in effect, what you just said, he's, he's kind of announcing a cancel culture is coming. If you follow me, he could have easily said, they canceled me, they're going to cancel you too. You right. know, as they hated me, they're going to hate you too. I, so I, I agree with you on that point that, this is something that Christians, you know, martyrdom was an effort to cancel, uh, right. you know, Christianity over and over again. In, in my book, Immortal Combat, Confronting the Heart of Darkness, we might want to talk more about this later, but I actually dig deeply into the, the mechanics and how this actually works within human nature, and within human history. Why time and time again, do we shift the blame onto other people? Um, blame them for the problem, then cancel them. Yeah. And can and cancel culture is a polite term for actually um, group group violence, because mm -hmm. cancel culture will inevitably end up uh, in you know a permanent cancellation. Mm -hmm. Okay, the final solution. Um, I wrote recently that um, people who put pe people who put others into boxes will eventually put them into boxcars. 
Okay. So cancel culture does not end happily, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, 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 I've been, and I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying here. Um, The only thing I've been uh, pointing to is that unique to our times is um, the uh, mass media, you know, and, and easy access to information. And so it, 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 uh, the indoctrination, right? The propaganda is so easy uh, to, 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 I was saying back in the 1930s, what they use pamphlets and, you know, maybe newspapers and, and whatever, but uh, nowadays it's, it's uh, right in your face, uh, 24 seven. It is. And the, and the propagandists in our culture are far more subtle and powerful and effective than they ever were in like communist Russia or Nazi Germany. Um, they have access to um, not just billboards and posters and in-your-face kind of advertising. They have access to the film. They have access to media. They have access to television. They have access to the papers. They have access to internet. They have access to so many forms of getting their message across. Why, Father, are, are they all so well united? So one of the things I've been calling us to do is become better at being united. But why is that? other side, the, the side that opposes the Holy Spirit, the, the side that is threatened by the message of Jesus Christ. Why, why are they so united? What do, you, what, what do you think? Well, I believe that what unites them is their hatred of the gospel and their hatred of the truth. And that, that hatred um, draws people together, um, very, uh, draws together very unlikely bedfellows, as they say. Yeah. So for instance, why do you find um, feminists uh, and the homosexual activists uh, defending Islam when most Muslims would right. would tell women that they need to wear the, the, the whole veil thing, you know, yeah. and they would throw homosexuals off, off of rooftops. Right. You know, some of the, some of the disconnect there is, is just totally weird. It's because they have a shared hatred for the same thing. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Father, what do you see um, like in the political realm Obviously, things took a, uh, a pretty serious turn, and with some 150,000 executive orders being signed, or some some incredible number, I don't even know what it was these days. I'm not even sure if you knew everything he was signing, uh, and and some of this obviously being directed at infringing on Christian rights and Christian freedom and so forth, with some of the back doors that they're working on to try to try to clamp down on us a little bit. Where do you where do you kind of see that going? Well. You know, I, I tend not to be too alarmist. Um, America is a big country um, with an awful lot of people who are who have still have a lot of power on on against all of this. I also believe that politically, very often there's a swing back um, and a pushback if things go too far. One of the things that history shows us is that Satan always overplays his hand. He plays really subtle. He plays with masks. He plays behind the scenes for a long time, but he hates me behind the scenes because he's a proud spirit. Right. He likes to be up front. He likes to receive the worship and the adoration. And so eventually he overplays his hand and he comes out in the open and he pushes things too far. And that's when people say, whoa, if you take, if you take Hitler as an example, Hitler, when he first came to power, the Nazis first came to power, were very subtle in their approach. They were bringing in things. People said, Hitler's great. We have full employment. Um, you know, the economy's doing well. Uh, he's in favor of, you know, 
good families, good marriages. He's supporting all of these things that we really like. A lot of conservative people were in favor of what he was doing. Um, and then, of course, the mask came down and every people, be, people began to see what he was really like and what he really stood for. And that's when the people who were believers were able to roll up their sleeves and say, right, we have to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good lesson from history, that the devil overplays his hand. And very often, if the people of faith um, just bide their time, he will eventually show his true colors. Um, and, and that's when people of goodwill and, and faith will rise up and, and uh, stand for what's true and what's good. I keep saying, Father, that I think a Holy Spirit revival is coming and it's a, it's a, because of what you're saying is, is it's, it's, this is drawing us out of our complacency, I think. The horror of seeing this evil before us, the, the overplaying of, of Satan's hand that we're seeing before us is drawing people, I think, closer to the Lord closer to a, a desire for that power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Uh, do, do you have any predictions about maybe how that's going to play itself out? Or, or, yeah, or maybe I, do you agree with me what I'm, what I'm saying there? No, I, I agree. I think one of the things which is happening is there is a natural migration taking, on, uh, taking place in America where um, believers uh, of the historic Christian faith, both Catholics and also some of our um, separated brethren, are being gra gravitating towards faith-based communities at the parish level, um, at the school level, at the diocesan level, where they have um, good, strong leadership, good, strong families, and a real good faith foundation. Um, and this it is naturally beginning to draw people together. I mean, in, in my parish in Greenville, South Carolina, for instance, we have um, transformed our parish school into a classical school. And uh, we have instituted something called a faithful family scholarship in which um, large Catholic families only pay tuition for their two oldest kids. All the rest come for free. Nice. And we support this with the parish um, nice. finances as well. So nice. as a result, people are hearing about this and they're moving to Greenville from all over the country, from Oregon, from Washington, from California, from Texas, from North Carolina, from Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. They're moving to, to South Carolina to be part of that community and part of our, our family of faith in this place. So I think this is happening in lots of different ways, both small and large. Yeah. I mean, all the people who follow your podcast, for instance, are a kind of community which has grown up where mm -hmm. people are receiving input to strengthen their faith and to be able to stand firm um, no matter what comes. And that this will actually be the source of, of, of renewal. Well, I saw I, what you I, did there with the tuition. Yeah. The first two, so meaning... Have more than two. <laughs> Have a bit of a nice big family. You promote that. That's one. Oh, yeah. We've got some wonderful families moving in with, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten children, right. you know, and mom and dad are there at mass on Sunday with all of them. We can't fit them all in. And mom comes forward for pregnant and uh, come, comes forward for communion, you know, with two or three kids, little kids with her yep, and, yep, yep. And, and another one on the way. And, um, it's a real pro-life parish. And I think this is the real answer um, to the uh, encroaching darkness is that people will see, will see this and they will see these parishes and these communities and these joyful families Amen. and say, you know, I think I would like that. Um, the sociologist Rodney Stark, excuse me for talking too much, but the, the no, sociologist Rodney no, Stark has um, done a study of how uh, the Christian faith actually was able to convert the Roman Empire in such a short time. And he basically describes what the Roman Empire was like. He says it was cruel, it was heartless, 
infanticide, abortion, and murder were everywhere. It was a bloodthirsty, harsh society. And the Christians came along, and they simply did what Christians were supposed to do. They loved God. They loved one another. They loved their children. They loved their husbands. They loved their wives. They loved their pastors. They built up, they built up the church. And the Roman Empire basically said, people in the Roman Empire said, I want that. And he comments that when uh, the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity in 315, already in most of the major cities of the Roman Empire, between 60 and 75% of the population were already Christian. Wow. Um, because this was a grassroots movement starting from the people themselves. Not, it was not imposed from above. You know, and I, you know, and that, that's a key point, I think, Father, I'd like to emphasize is there are a lot of people out there, we are looking at our spiritual leaders, we are looking at the bishops and so forth, and a lot of people are scratching their head or beating their head against the wall or the table, or they're in this position a lot, oh, what, what is going on? And I get all that, I understand that, but even Archbishop Fulton Sheen had said, don't look to the clergy for the revitalization and the renewal of the church. It has to be something that we all take on ourselves. And as a husband and father and a grandfather, that's something I've taken seriously for you know my entire 31 year of my marriage is this is something that I have got to, to see from myself, how I raise my children. I believe it was Kimberly Hahn who said, I'm saving the world one diaper at a time. I mean, it's just this, <laughs> just this mindset that it's about every single soul that you bring into the world that you raise or for you two that you would baptize or give communion or confession to. But it, it's, it's got to be this entire picture, this whole picture, this entire effort of everybody getting involved in this. And I, I love that you emphasize that because I think that's, a, that's an important thing for people to remember when we get discouraged is I just have to look at myself. I have to worry about my foxhole that I'm battling from. And that foxhole is my home, my marriage, my children, my grandchildren, my job, whether I'm working on a factory line or working in an office or, or whatever it may be. That's if I just do my part right then and there, and be part of the bigger picture that let, let that Holy Spirit inspire and move me. It um, is. We're, we're, we're also part of a transition in American Catholicism. Um, if you know the history of, Amer of American Catholicism, it has been built on the um, ethnic Catholics, the cultural Catholics, mm. the ones who came from Ireland and Poland and Germany and Spain right. and Italy, and right. they brought their Catholicism with them. Now, three or four generations on, that doesn't work anymore, okay? To say, I'm Catholic because my great-grandfather was Polish, you know, it doesn't compute. Sure. But those ethnic, ethnic Catholic communities, they were strong and they were closely knit because of their shared faith and their shared family and cultural background. That doesn't exist anymore. What does exist, however, is this new thing which is emerging where intentional Catholics rather than cultural Catholics are getting together in their parishes, in their dioceses, in their schools, and they're building those kind of close-knit communities that used to exist based on ethnic and cultural grounds, but now it's existing because of our shared faith. You know, I grew up in a parish um, about 10 miles from here, actually, and my parents helped start the parish. And uh, it, it was just like what you're talking about, where, you know, it was it was the parish family. You, it was your second home. And, right. and you had this tight-knit um, community. And as a priest now, uh, I know that that's, that's how, like you said, that's how early Christianity sprung up. People looked from the outside and, and looked in and said, what did you people find? I want to be a part of this. And, and so I've really devoted myself to that in, in my current parish right now is, is absolutely amazing. Um, I started what, what um, is something, as we come out of this pandemic and we've been um, 
socially distanced and we couldn't see each other's smiles for a year and you know all this stuff and we couldn't meet I, I said, we need to work at becoming uh, even tighter as a family. And so I, I just said, let's get together every Thursday night. First of all, let's unite with the Holy Eucharist. And so we expose the Blessed Sacrament. And I actually add a lot of sacred beauty into those, those, that uh, holy hour. And then after that, we spill out onto my lawn, where I kind of uh, half-jokingly, but put together what I call Gracie's Cafe. But it's a picnic tables and a place for us to just just enjoy each other's company and to just kind of get back. You know, we've been, we've been divided. We've been socially distanced and all this stuff. Let's get back and let's work at being unified more. And I actually keep that Gracie's cafe up on the front lawn as cars are driving by, because it's like what you're saying, father, I want people to drive by and say, they're really working at uh, being close knit, being that family. And, and, uh, and so it's a constant reminder uh, of all that uh, it, it, because I believe, and I'll, I'll close with this, I've been saying from the beginning that this satanic eruption is what I call it, is manifested as, I, I see it as rage and division. And th those are the two ways it's been manifest itself. So the counter to that is love and unity. And, and, and we've got to work at that. I've even uh, kind of half-jokingly said, Let's get, a, let's get this going viral where we just start saying that we love each other more. You know? uh, but don't you think, Father, that that's, that's kind of the direction that, that we're called to go right now is to really get even tighter uh, as, a, as, a, as a Catholic community? Well, as, as I said before, um, Rodney Stark points out that the Roman Empire was converted from its cruelty, its bloodthirstiness, its rage, its violence, its ugliness, um, because Christians just did what Christians are supposed to do. Right. They loved God. They loved their wives. They loved their kids. They right. loved their husbands. Right. They loved their neighbor. The Christians were um, known for reaching out, for instance, during times of plague and not running to the heading for the hills to save themselves, but to staying right. there and uh, ministering to the sick and right. burying the dead, not just their own, but their pagan neighbors as well. Right. And um, this is what converted the world. Uh, yeah. And this is what converts people to the faith. And yeah. Um, you're right, Doug. It's a, a responsibility for all of the baptized. It, you can't do this cop out of, of blaming the clergy and blaming the bishops all the time. Right. Okay, right. by all means, um, keep keep a, keep tabs on us um, when we're when you're letting when we're letting you down. But on the other hand, um, support us, pray for us, and realize that one of the things the devil wants to do is to divide the church, and. He will bring to the headlines as much as he can the bad and unfaithful priests, the bad and unfaithful bishops. Please be reminded, if you're watching tonight, that the vast majority of our priests and our deacons and our bishops are good, solid men who love the Lord, who love the church, who love the Blessed Mother, and are really trying to live out the gospel. Um, don't be dissuaded and don't be too discouraged by the bad eggs. There, there are definitely some bad ones out there, some very bad ones. They make it the headlines, but... Pray for them, leave, leave them to the Lord's mercy and support and help you, the very good priests that you know of. I'm yeah, thinking you know, of law enforcement officers as you're saying this too. Yeah. I mean, they're going through the right. same kind of uh, abuse yeah. because they're a threat, uh, like yeah. the clergy are, you know, and, and uh, they're, they're amazing. They're awesome, but there's a few bad eggs. There's a few bad eggs. Yeah, you know, I think about, you know, one of the things, I, you know, Father Dwight, I talk a lot about in my, my ministry work over the years is the apparitions, the church approved apparitions of the Blessed Mother, especially in the last hundred years, focusing on from Fatima on. 
And I, a lot of people would come up to me and say, well, do you think that the Pope never made the consecration to Russia correctly? You know, and, and, and if he didn't, why didn't he? And so forth. I say, you know what? I don't know. That's above my pay grade. But I'm willing to bet that you and I both haven't done what she asked us to do because she didn't just put it on the the authority of the church to consecrate Russia to her immaculate heart. She also said to everybody to pray the rosary daily. And it's a 15 to 20 minute effort. It's not complicated. And yet there are many people who have told me, and I do a lot of work with men's conferences, men's events and so forth. And I'm challenging men all the time. Look, if a bad guy was going to kick in the door and threaten your family physically, would you engage to protect your family? Well, of course I would. Well, if the demon were to were to threaten to kick in the door and threaten you, would you engage? Well, I, I, uh, um, and there's a lot of almost deer in the headlight look. Praying the rosary is one way to do that, and it takes 15 to 20 minutes a day, and a lot of them will say, yeah, you know, I just don't get much out of the rosary. You know, I have a hard time focusing, and if I'm not focused right, then I don't think I should be doing it. And I go back to, look, the Blessed Mother asked us all to do it. She didn't say specifically, only if you have a lofty moment of experience with it when you do it, only if you completely understand each and every mystery you're praying. She said, just pray it. Right. And stop making excuses, basically. Just get in there and engage. And, and a lot of people just struggle with that. But it is one of the most powerful and simple things we can do to engage what, in this what, immortal combat. One of my books is actually called Praying the Rosary for Spiritual Warfare. Awesome. And it should be able to help people to use the rosary and to focus their prayers on, this, on, the, on the battle. So, um, and to answer that question, it's not what you're getting out of it. It's what you're putting into it, which is mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, hey, could you speak just to, uh, for a minute to that, especially to the leaders of families, the husbands, the fathers, but also the heart of the home, the wives, the mothers out there? What, what advice, what encouragement would you give to those who struggle with finding the time, which I think is a big excuse. We can all find 15 to 20 minutes, even if you're praying in the car while you're driving to and from work or picking the kids up from school or what have you. But what would you say to those who are really struggling and maybe not seeing how this is a powerful way to engage in this immortal combat? Well, um, one of the things that I bring out in my next book, which is coming back, coming out in August, which is called um, Beheading Hydra, a radical plan for Christians in a an atheistic age. That is it, a great title, Father. Beheading Hydra. <laughs> yeah, because I go into all the different um, uh, isms and ideologies, atheistic ideologies that are out there, like a like a hydra with you know many different heads, and you cut right. one off, more right. grow back. Um, anyway, one of the things I say in there, which I've used in conferences and 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 what men's conferences and stuff as well, is a little bit controversial, or it always gets people's hackles up a little bit because I'll say, look, if you want your kids to remain Catholic, um, remain Christian, let me tell you why I'm still a Christian today, and I'm a believer today and a and a, and a Christian today and a Catholic because my father, the father of five, a good Christian um, evangelical man. Um, he actually actually tithed 10, 15% of his income to the Lord's work. Mm. And the reason I use this as an example is I say, I knew, therefore, as a kid growing up, that my father put his money where his mouth was. Right. That although he was not perfect, that he was not um, a saint, he still be believed, and he not only believed, he acted on it. And right. it is those actions which back up your faith, which your kids will see, they will understand. Right. So moms and dads... If you fight and quarrel in front of your kids, that's okay. What's most important is that they also see you kiss and make up because they then learn the, the, the gift of forgiveness. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And it's those little actions day by day 
as you say, saying the rosary, being faithful, getting to mass, getting there on time, tithing, loving, forgiving one another. These are the things which they can see Christianity in action, and they will act, it, they will stay with the faith because they've seen that even if you weren't totally consistent 100% of the time, you were trying. You believed it enough to actually live by it. Um, kids can sniff out hypocrisy like yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. They, they, they can sniff out hypocrisy yeah. even when it's not there. Um, and even, however, they're also, to, to be positive, they're also very good at sniffing out authenticity. Mm -hmm. They know when somebody really believes and is really willing to act on it. The yeah. little hug that you give, the little forgiveness that you give, the little prayers that you say, all of those things matter an awful lot to your kids. You know, you, you couldn't be more right, Father. I didn't know what my parents were giving to the collection but I saw their actions. And all, I always see my, I have five brothers and sisters, and they're all churchgoers. One's a Catholic school principal. Um, but I, and I think you're getting to the heart of the matter is that we looked on as kids and saw the actions of our parents. And it was actions of authenticity, not hypocrisy hmm. of, their, of their Catholic faith. They truly, truly, truly loved, loved God. They love their neighbor, and they and they and they they let their selflessness, okay, uh, rule rule their lives. This this idea that uh, don't worry about me, let me worry about you. Let me take care of you. Let me. What is what do you need? What do what does the parish need? What do you? And, and you, you know, it could be it can be something as small as when you go to church, um, and kids love to do this. Take the little ones up to the statue of St. Joseph or the statue of the Blessed Mother and light a candle with them and say, Hail Mary. It just takes a minute, right. but they love doing that. And they love praying with you. They love connecting with St. Joseph and the saints and our Lord. Uh, and if you take their hand and do that with them, they will remember that forever. You know, what? one of the things I, I, I still do periodically, and I'm just going to throw this out for people who are listening or watching to, to think about is, you know, when I travel, whether I'm on a trip, evangelization, a conference mission somewhere, or whether my wife and I are out somewhere, because we're empty nesters now, all of our, we have five children, they've all moved out now, we have uh, several grandchildren now, um, we'll stop at a church, or if I'm on a trip somewhere, I'll stop at a church, uh, make a visit, and go to the, go to the, the boat of candles, light a candle, and then I'll take a picture, this is a great thing you can do with technology, take a picture, and send it to each of my children to say, you know, here's the picture of the boat of candle that is for you right now. They know, okay, dad's in, you know, Wisconsin or dad's in, you know, California, heaven forbid, I might have to go out there again, you know, but wherever I go, I'll try to remember to do something like that. Do you remember that right. son that I've done that before? Yeah. I get a picture once in a while. Yeah. My son remembers. And I do it for my wife too, if I'm away from my wife, but, but those are little things like you're saying, father, I think that are important is that we can use the technology, be clever and use the technology to let our children and our wives no, you know, our family, you know, not let them know I'm doing these things. I'm, I'm praying before this beautiful statue of the blessed mother. I'm here in the tabernacle or before the tabernacle and our blessed Lord. And I'm praying for you. And this is the image right now that I'm seeing as I'm offering up prayers for my son or my daughter and so forth. Good. Beautiful. So all of that, one of, you, all of, one, of you, one of you can put that in your next book. If you want, you don't even need to credit me. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to remember it. <laughs> so, Father, I know, I know that, um, it, it, and again, thank you uh, for your wisdom. It's, it's coming out clearly here. Uh, you're, you're, you're saying that our first uh, move is 
uh, to be united with God and then with our family and to, and to make sure that you, you take care of that. Um, and it's in, and I, I think you're saying too, that from that, the fruit will, will be, will be evident that the, the, the fruit will multiply. Of course, I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy spirit, uh, because that will be, uh, built and, and nurtured and, and, uh, and grow within that, that, that loving family. If, if and, I can make then, another comment about that too, very often in this whole area of spiritual warfare, some people um, are a little bit prone to, um, well, to be blunt, they like the sensationalism of it. You know, it's kind of like, oh, let's all go and be mini exorcists, you know. And um, one of the things I've learned from being a Benedictine oblate uh, and the wisdom of St. Benedict is that God's uh, way of working in the world is always small and it's yep. always humble. Yep. And therefore, and those are the most powerful things because Satan is a proud spirit. He hates yep. anything which is humble. And therefore, it's these little things that we that you mentioned, Father, the, the, the prayers, the family prayers, the, yes. the family love and forgiveness. Um, yep. It's these little things, these humble things, which are actually the most powerful in the struggle, even though they're not the most sensational, the most dramatic. And do you think, Father, you know, we, we see the encroachment of evil and you talk about it, well, this is in the history all the time. But do you think that there's been a weakness on, on the part of our, our Catholic Christians during this time to allow kind of this encroachment that's going on? Or, or what were you thinking about that? I think over the last 60 or 70 years, um, you know, since the 1960s, 50 or 60 years, the whole Christian church has been under a huge attack by so many different forces in the culture. And this is what I talk about in the book coming up this summer, in which I analyze 12 different ideologies in the world today, which have come up they haven't really just, they've come to a head in the last 50 years. They really have their roots 500 years ago sure. in the upheavals of the Protestant Reformation and then the Enlightenment. Sure. Um, and these different um, crises that have cropped up, and they're political, they're um, sexual, they're psychological, um, they're international, they're on many, many different levels. They, the, the church has just been hit over the head with all of these things in a huge way. So we're struggling um, from an attack under many, many different um, fronts. And therefore, all the more reason for us to, to pull back, if you like, into the core radical um, root roots of our faith to find the strength and to find the resilience to, to, to move on and to really um, put up that fight. Father, what do you say to, to uh, let's say, a husband and wife whose children maybe are at Doug's age, his children, 20s, 30s, um, where they've they've really done everything you're talking about, and yet the the culture is so strong. I I know so many devout, jo joyful, loving families where you know they're and I always see it happen like late teens, early twenties, uh, where where they just get um, the bridged away. You saying where the kids depart the faith? Yeah, yeah. And what do you what do you say to them? I mean, we, uh, this we, comes up what you're talking about, Father, and 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 I'm lamenting my child, and this is this is at epidemic proportions. Yeah, it is, and right. among devout Catholics, right? Mm -hmm. Well, well the, and I see this an awful lot when I'm out um, in on, you know in the speaking circuit, and 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 I'll, somebody will come up after the mass. And say, I want to talk to you, Father, and I can see the pain look on the mother's face, and I can almost predict what she's going to say. How can I get my son back to church? How can right. I get my daughter who married a, a non-Christian back to the faith, and so forth? And the story I always remind them of is the story of the prodigal son, where that father knew that his boy was a stinker. 
He knew the boy was going to take the money and, and use it for bad stuff. He gave him the money. He gave him his freedom. And he said, off you go. And the father did not go down into the pig pen and find him and take him by the ear and bring him home. Right. He let the son go. And he gave the son freedom. And he was there to welcome him home when he, when he decided he was ready to come home. And I say, this is the pain you're feeling is actually a participation in the pain that God the Father feels because he does that same thing to the entire human race. He gives us our freedom and says, you have free will, do what you will. And with a great broken heart, he watches the vast majority of humanity go off and live in the pig pen. But he's waiting there to receive us back. And so I think part of that pain which parents feel is the, the pain and the anxiety of actually giving them freedom, their kids freedom and saying, it's up to you now. Yeah. You know, I can't do this for you. You have to do it. You have to find your way. Um, in my experience, also, an awful lot of, if the parents had lived an authentic faith, an awful lot of the kids do find their way back, but God plays a long game. And I'll say to some parents, you know, you may never see this until you're on the other side of yourself looking, uh, looking down and see it happen when they're later on, later on in their life. But I think an awful lot of them do come back. The baptism sticks. Um, I had an incident just this week, for instance, of a boy who was baptized as a Catholic. His parents left the Catholic Church and went on this long pilgrimage through lots of different Protestant churches and so forth. Eventually, the boy um, went to a Protestant university. Um, it's Bob Jones University, actually. Um, got married, got divorced, um, remarried a Catholic woman. It was her first marriage, and now he's asking to come into the Catholic faith and come back to the because his baptism stuck. His baptism meant something. Um, anyway, we see this all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, Father. You see people going away, but you also see others come back. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, you're right, though, Father Hallman. That's hard. That's a tough one, and uh, I've run into the same thing. Two, two of the most probably top five questions I've had in 31 years. One, the number one question is from women who ask, what do you have here for my husband? Because they want their husband to get on board and really engage in that spiritual battle and be that leader. And the other is, uh, one of the other top questions is, you know, my kids, what do I do? And like you said, Father Heilman, so many have been so devout, they've done all these things. And that's a great point, Father Dwight, I think needs to be emphasized is God plays the long game. That's a great way to put it. You know, God is not uh, a sprinter. He's, he, well, he can't sprint. He can do anything, but he's, he's got that endurance. You know, he'll run this out. The, the long, long game is a good way of looking at it and give people hope. Just keep doing what you're called to do and let God do what he can do. He loves them more than we do as parents. Right. And he, there's that line from uh, a G.K. Chesterton story, which is um, quoted in Evelyn Wall's novel, Brideshead Revisited, about the, tw the twitch on the thread that the Lord lets the, the get, he sets the hook in, in, in the fish and lets the fish run. And then at the last moment gives the twitch on the thread and, and, and jerks him home <laughs> and, and using the picture of the Lord as a fisherman. And um, that's a, a very winning uh, analogy as well. I, I, you know, father, I, I, I agree with you, uh, you know, about the long game and all that. Um, what comes to mind when I'm, when I'm hearing that is this uh, classic short film called uh, sing a little louder and it, there's a, a preacher and a church full of people and a train that's filled with jews on the way to a concentration camp pulls out and they start screaming and what does the preacher do he he uh starts preaching louder and and then encourages the people to preach louder but the the point of it is that um 
we shouldn't get involved. We shouldn't get involved. Um, and so let's drown that out with our worship and, and move on. And uh, it, it, one might be tempted to say that preacher is saying, uh, stay the course, play the long game, you know, and, and to what's going on right, right in their midst. Is there, is there a sense of urgency at all? Uh, or how would you say, you know, I understand the long game thing, but there's a lot of people out there right now that are going, um, I think we got to, I think we have to take more immediate action than, than just kind of waiting this out. And, and frankly, one might jump to a conclusion that that's where the bishops are at. You know, just, just stand down, play the long game, yeah, I'm not saying that, Father. No, I know. That's why I want you to. I want you to clarify that. Yeah, that'd be right. good. No, I'm not saying that. That sounds yeah. like complacency or indifference. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Someone has said, you know, asked, well, um, what if it's the end of the world? What what should your attitude be? And if I can remember a friend of mine saying, you should live every day as if it's the end of the world, and you should live every day as if it's going to last for another thousand years. Right. Uh, and so, in the same way, that same paradox is there. Um, we play the long game, but we also play the long game with extreme, with an extreme sense of urgency and nice. an extreme sense of um, immediate action required. Um, if you're if you're going out on a long, say you're going to climb a mountain, okay, you've got the the, the um, long game, you've got the big picture, you've got the mountain you're going to climb, but you have to begin by taking that step, packing right. your bags, and taking the step and getting out and getting up and going up the mountain, or you'll never ac accomplish the long game. Right. So every single day, there's a sense of urgency. Every single day, there's a sense of battle. Every single day, there's a sense of concern and passion for our loved ones. But at the same time, we part of that is we, we put ourselves into the Lord's hands and we let him play the long game. Absolutely. absolutely. Maybe the way to say it is, I play a short game, God plays a long game, but I'm yeah, going to trust, trust him. And, and that's, I see it that way too, is that like every day I'm thinking, what, what do I do now by the grace of God to do what I need to do based on you know, the times and everything that we're in, the sense of urgency, even what our Blessed Mother in the approved apparitions has talked about, that the times are urgent. There's an urgent call for this. But that long game to me is that mindset that God knows where this is going. If I am faithful with my zeal now, then God will do what he does and he does best. You know, that mountain analogy, I, I, I've run, I'm not a long distance runner and I would never want to become one. So I appreciate people who are, but I've run two 26 mile marathons in my life because I just wanted to say I did it. I wanted to check that box. Uh, and one of them was up Pikes Peak Mountain in Colorado Springs. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's 14,110 foot elevation, I think is what it is. And exactly what you just described, the two things people would ask me, well, what kept you going? So, well, number one, I had to take every, I had to look down at every single step because you're on a mountain and most of it's on a trail. And so you can't, you can't, you know, just blindly run because you, you might step in a hole, you might step on a rock, you know, you've got to be careful because every single step matters. But I still had to keep my eyes up on the top of the mountain. So I knew that's where I'm headed. But every single step along the way is very important to take. So every step was an intentional, calculated step. So I wouldn't, you know, twist an ankle or whatever. But I kept looking at the top of the mountain. That's where I knew I was headed towards. And I, it took me 
four hours to get up the mountain and two hours to get down. Gravity, of course, plays a large part in the coming down. But it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life physically. And I've done a lot of things from marathons, triathlons, powerlifting, weightlifting sort of things and, and other things. But I loved it because of the incredible challenge to it. But I've, I've relayed that, related that to my spiritual journey a lot. Every single step matters but never lose sight of where you're headed and what that, what that top of the mountain need, it looks like and, and what you're aiming for. But to go back to what you said, Father, about the, the leadership in the church, I think one of the thing, the crises we're facing is actually a huge amount of uh, complacency and indifference uh, to the problem as it exists um, amongst our leadership. But again, I always avoid... Um, criticizing the leadership too much because I see that same level of indifference and that same complacency uh, in the pews. Sure. And so um, it's not just amongst those of us who are in the clergy, but there's a lot of complacency and indifference amongst ordinary Catholics as well, who, who do not have their eyes and hearts open to what's actually going on. Yeah. And, and I think uh, us as clergy share some of that blame because I think as spiritual leaders, if not us, leading the way and, and modeling that uh, sense of urgency and a desire. The, 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 the old uh, axiom that, uh, uh, that uh, with um, effort brings reward. Effort brings reward. And I see that throughout sacred scripture where God is imploring us to, to, not, uh, take, uh, uh, to not sit idly for sure, but, but to, to, to show that effort. Yeah. I always say, Abba, Daddy, I call him Daddy. Uh, he's like, okay, show me. You want it? Show me. Show me. That's why, too, that we, we when we go to 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 implore the Lord, we'll do like a fifty-four day rosary novena, because um, we want to we want to impress upon our heavenly Father that we love Him dearly, and uh, we're not just taking Him for granted like a candy machine uh, or anything like that. But but I, you know, that's all my way of just saying that I, I think as spiritual leaders. Effort brings reward uh, in how we treat uh, the current situation and then model that for others. To, 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 because I, I think part of the reason there's complacency is because it starts from the top, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, if, if, that spirit, if, the, if the real belief is there then, and the real commitment is there, then um, the actions will follow. Right. Um, I do believe that's another problem in the church today is that because of the great assault over the last 50 or 60 years, there is a very widespread um, apostasy, a very widespread yes. lack of belief in the very basics of the, of the gospel, the very the basic supernatural of, faith. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've written time and again about this modern substitute, this modern false Christianity, which is called moralistic therapeutic deism, right? In which, uh, modernist Christians right across the denominations, the Protestant denominations and our Catholic faith, I'm afraid, have reduced the um, supernatural religion of, uh, of our faith to uh, moralism, just a list of rules and regulations to be yeah, nice, exactly. respectable people, therapy, um, how to make yourself a better person and, and to work on your personal problems, right. and deism. There is a God, but he's out there and he doesn't really do anything. Right. Um, yeah. and that is just poison. And it's, it's, it's riddled right through the church. And it's just, it's, I always say about this, I said, you know, not only is it not a, is a false religion, it's not even a religion at all, because all religions everywhere in the world down through history have always been about a contact, an encounter with the supernatural. Yes. 
Yes. Whether they're pagan religions and an encounter with the gods and the goddesses with all their terrible um, yes. behaviors and their bloodthirsty ways, but whatever it was, if it was a religion, it was about a contact with the supernatural, with the other realm, with heaven, with hell, with gods and goddesses, and with real events taking place, angels and demons and all the rest. Um, and moralistic therapeutic deism um, is not just a false religion. It's not even a religion at all. Right. And this is just come into our church all over the place. And it's just, that's why pews are emptying. That's why seminaries are emptying. That's why convents and monasteries are emptying. Because for the past 50 or 60 years, that's what people try to substitute instead of the real red-blooded Christianity. I remember when you were teaching that and I was trumpeting it right behind you. That's what was an amazing teaching. It was like three or four years ago when you really got on it, wasn't it, Father, or something like that? Moral the uh, therapeutic deism. Uh, yeah. it, it's so true. It's so true. Say, listen, I think um, I'm looking at the clock. I think we're out of time. That's a great place for us to finish. Father, this was so special having you on. And again, I knew when we asked you to be on that we'd see a lot of wisdom coming our way. And we, we sure, certainly did. And we hope we, we hope you can ha have you on again sometime. Could you close us with a prayer, Father? Yeah, of course. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit on this gift of, on this feast of the visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary to St. Elizabeth. We pray that our hearts will be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit as the Blessed Mother was, that we might bear in our own lives the gift of her Son and bear his gift of light and love to the rest of the world. This we pray through our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Father. This was great. Thank you, Father. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. God bless you.